podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the AI Premier League Preview Pod. It's Chelsea week, with the undefeated Reds taking on Mauricio Sade's side twice in the matter of just four days. So on tonight's pod, we'll be discussing the Reds' best start to a season ever and uh, looking ahead to the weekend's game at Stamford Bridge. Joining me to discuss the game, I'm delighted to welcome on AI writer Sam Evans and Chelsea fan and co-host of the Did It Cross the Line pod, Rebecca Watkins. Welcome, guys. Hi. Oh, good to speak to you, Rebecca. There's, there's plenty about Chelsea that we want to discuss this season. Huge amounts of change, of course. It seems like every time I get you on, actually, there's um, sort of turbulent times to speak about things in the past. I, I know you've, you've definitely got your own thoughts on the club's structure and and strategy, should we say. Um, but before we get started on to this season, really what I want to um, to ask you, I'm asking all sorts of uh, all rival fans when they come on the pod, really, at, at this stage of the season, um, what you made of the way in which the club ended uh, the last campaign um, like. Of course, there was plenty going on, which was a contest, you know, rumours over his future, clear discontent there, um, the FA Cup final, of course, um, and then sort of the, the sort of rumours around the financial situation of the club and, and Abramovich's owner, um, ownership of the club. So plenty to cover, I guess. But what were your overall thoughts on on how Chelsea ended last season? Yeah, I think, look, we're kind of well known for especially, you know, under the Abramovich era of having sort of dead men walking in jobs. We, we all knew when Ancelotti, case in point, was, was going to get sacked at the end of the season. But I think with, with Conte, it was probably one of the most damaging uh, ends to a managerial reign that we've seen um, for several reasons. Obviously, in terms of the way it went on for so, so long, we, we did look incompetent at one stage because it was clear Conte was getting sacked, but it was halfway through the transfer window. And why were we not kind of doing anything? Why are we even looking at players if we don't have a new manager? There was obviously all the kind of debacle with Sari getting out of his Napoli deal as well, which which is still sort of being mentioned in the Italian press and stuff. And Napoli are obviously very unhappy with the way that went down. Um but in terms of how obviously Conte was sort of, I guess, so unhappy at the club for so long and wouldn't walk away because he wanted his kind of severance package. And may- maybe he did just want to kind of see it out. I'm I'm not even sure on that. But what, what he did to some of the players as well, I think it was very, very damaging. You saw an entire kind of clique of Brazilians alienated. And that doesn't just hark back to his kind of final season that goes back to even when he had issues with Diego Costa in the title winning season and you know there were rumors over their relationship then so I think that there were a lot of a lot of things that went wrong that season some were Conte's fault absolutely some some were not because you know it's like in in general life you don't even have to be a football fan to understand this in any job or in any situation if the same thing keeps happening to you over and over and over again, you eventually have to look in the mirror and think, am I the problem? Is this me? Am I doing something wrong? And the way Chelsea just go through managers, yes, they are the problem. No, exactly. I thought. I think one thing that sort of struck me about the way in which the Conte sort of situation unfolded was really there seemed to be a lot more... Um, animosity towards him than you than you'd usually associate obviously you mentioned there's that the dead men walking sort of scenario that you've been in a few times with the managers that have been at the club um but this time it, it really did feel like there was um, a number of sort of personal grudges held against him you mentioned the brazilian sort of contingent in the squad who um clearly were not his biggest fans willian of course that famous sort of instagram uh, photo <laughs> photoshop that he did after winning the fa cup um remarkable stuff really um just on Conte then, I mean, you mentioned that, yeah, of course, there, there's bigger problems going on and if it keeps happening over and over again, maybe stop pointing all the fingers at the manager. But just where did that sort of um, animosity emerge from between him and the Brazilian contingent in the squad? You, you mentioned the Costa situation that he had, but yeah, tactically, you know, there's, surely there are no questions about the effectiveness of his approach. There might be some questions about how how dull it can be at times, but... Um, I just wonder where where you 
you think things began to sour? I mean, look, the the kind of dull approach doesn't really wash with me. I, I couldn't care less. You know, if, if there was a, a Mourinho fan club, I would be first and centre at it. So I really don't care about, you know, people saying, oh, the football's boring, all this, all this. If you're getting results and if it's clinical, that's great. If you're defending well, again, that's great. I, I love to watch stuff like that. So I was never really bothered with that. And I think Chelsea fans as a whole are more are pragmatic enough in the respect that they're more concerned about results. And that, for me, is by the by and fine. If Abramovich wants one thing, then, and he clearly does, he needs to get a manager that can bring that. And I think finally with Sari, he might have it. He, he semi had it with Ancelotti. But in terms of when that started, I think there are a few different schools of thought on that. It definitely started with the board the summer after we won the title. There's no questions about that. There were even rumours in the winter, you know, of us en route to winning the title. Conte basically saying, this squad isn't big enough, this squad isn't good enough. If we're playing on multiple fronts, which we're obviously going to be back in the Champions League, because we are literally about to win the title. You know, if we're doing all this stuff, then we, we need a bigger squad. We need a better squad. That didn't happen. He didn't get the players he wanted. The summer was very much the same. So Conte and the board, and by extension Abramovich, I think were fractured for a, a very long time. Conte and the players, people like Azard and Courtois, always made it very clear that they didn't really like the football he was playing. Azard is saying that an awful lot more now. Now, when it comes to the Brazilian clique, I'm a very big advocate of it. Sometimes it's not necessarily what you do, it's how you do it. And with the Diego Costa thing, okay, fine, fair enough. Whether you, you think Costa should have been kept on a purely playing level, which in my opinion, of course, he should. You know, if the player wanted to leave, if Conte saw a different person, a different character coming in, you know, absolutely fine. He is the manager. He lives and dies by those decisions. And if they're not good enough, he ultimately gets sacked. The problem was the way he went about it. You cannot just send a very popular member of the dressing room. And also, let's not forget, I know their footballers on X, Y and Z a week, but they're still human beings. They're still 23, 24, 25, 26 year old human beings. And it hurts when somebody you think you've done a good job last season at your job and somebody just sends you a text, a literal text message when you all are on holiday saying thanks for last year, but don't really need you again. You know, that's essentially what Conte did. And of course, Costa was upset. Then he went to his friends and said, as you would, as I would, as anybody in a job would, if you got a text from your manager tomorrow morning saying, thanks for all your hard work, but we don't need you anymore. I'm going in a different direction. You would think, wow, the least they could do was was say it to my face. And then you go to your friends, you go to your colleagues and you say, oh my God. And people start thinking, if that happened to him, that could happen to me. And you also think, that's my friend. I don't appreciate the way they've been treated there because I certainly would think that. And David Luiz thought that. William thought that. Costa's other friends thought that. And frankly, you don't even have to be friends with somebody to think, where is your respect? Where is your man management? All we hear about football these days is, can somebody man manage? You know, questions now about Mourinho. Is Mourinho able to man manage this generation of players? The generation that didn't grow up, you know, cleaning people's boots in the dressing room. The generation that grew up at 16 thinking my first car is going to be a Lamborghini. It, it's not uh, the same mentality. But, you know, at the end of the day, Conte did that very badly wrong. Then dug his heels in and refused to apologize. That, I think, made it a lot, lot worse. And, it, you know, it has come out that he clearly has an issue with Brazilian players, whether it is just the clique at Chelsea that, you know, did rally around Costa. But even going on to, like, him tactically and stuff, we obviously switched to the three at the back when it looked so kind of disastrous when Chelsea were playing the four at the back. And David Luiz profited massively from that. He was one of the key players in Conte's system when it became successful. Because love him or love him as a defender, he is very good on the ball. And in a three at the back, I, I do think he is better suited than in a four at the back, especially when you've got somebody like N'Golo Conte in front of you. And, you know, at that point, Matic as well. The issue then becomes when now, obviously, at three at the back, David Luiz is getting dropped and David Luiz is out the team and David Luiz is being, you know, tweeted in the press as somebody that doesn't train hard enough. And from everything you read about David Luiz, he is not one of those players. You know, you know, you get some players who turn up to training and just phone it in, but then they're 
you know, fabulous on a weekend, et cetera, et cetera. I do not think David Luiz is one of those players. And to say that about a player fully calls into question their professionalism, which is what Conte did. Again, making the relations between the players even worse. And it just went on like that throughout the season. You know, he essentially refused to play Willian at times when Willian should have been played. Cesc Fabregas, another player who clearly had, you know, a a fairly poor relationship with Conte. And I get that you're not always going to love your manager. That's the same in every walk of life. But you can certainly manage a team and have players still kept on side, even if you don't fancy them or you don't kind of see them as integral to your plans. And you're never going to win a title and you're never going to win any trophies with just 11 players. And Conte couldn't even keep 11 of them happy by the end. Mm. So I think there was a breakdown in kind of every level, including the supporters, because let's not forget the majority of the Chelsea fans at the game against Man United when it was 4-0 and Mourinho was so hurt and so annoyed and so disgusted at the way Conte celebrated that fourth goal. I personally felt it was disrespect at its absolute height. But mob mentality, football fans, etc., etc. You know, Mourinho then became a Judas and this huge relationship problem between Mourinho and Conte emerged. War of words. You know, Mourinho is a little, a little man. Conte's a match fixer who has no hair. You know, it became very childish, very pathetic. And it also seemed to kind of destroy Conte, whereas Mourinho is very like, I've done this 10 times over. I'll do it 10 times again. I live off this. But Conte also, you know, at that point when that started, had the full backing of the fans. He was basically a darling. He just won the title. You know, he was making us look really, really good, et cetera, et cetera. Then everything emerged with him not being, I would say, difficult with the board, but there was that. Then there was a problem with the players. Nobody agreed with what happened to Diego Costa. It was downright stupid the way that was done. You know, we could have kept him till January. He didn't even get to play till January because Athletic were on a transfer registering ban anyway. Could have bedded in Morata. Things could have gone very, very differently there because a lot of Morata's problem is mental. So that could have been a hugely different situation. By the end, the fans hated Conte. They wanted him out as vehemently as I've ever seen them want any Chelsea manager out. So there was a breakdown on every possible level. And I think that more than anything was a bit of a hangover in the summer, which I think, sorry to his credit, has actually done really well to not dwell on, if you like. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like there's huge, huge amounts of baggage there. Because if you equate it to a relationship, I mean, that's that, that's one that you're very keen to get out of and sort of cut all ties from as soon as, as, soon as possible, I'm sure. Um I want to move on to sort of the transfer window then because I think it sort of ties in with um, another on-running theme with the club in that, that there seem to be questions around um, you know, the financial commitment that's still there from perhaps the owner um, to the club, to the project going forward. I know there are questions around the stadium project at one stage. Uh, those seem to be back on track now. But um, people start to identify, whether it be through a lack of strategy. Um, I know Michael Amidalo obviously left as well. Um, the transfer strategy, the players that you were bringing in as opposed to you know, the players that you were sort of used to um, targeting in, in years gone by, it seemed to have changed in terms of the quality though, of the players that you were looking at, or really the tier, I guess, um, whether it be to do with wages, whatever the reason might be. But this summer, um, I just want, wonder what your, your thoughts were on the transfer window. Obviously, with Courtois, um, his departure seemed more or less inevitable um, you know, given the noises he was making for a long time. and um, But there were, there were rumours about Hazard and Kante, and of course you kept hold of them both. Um, but with the signings that came in, in terms of the overpaying for for Kepa, of course, after sort of um, um, losing out on Alisson, um, Kovacic, obviously a, a late loan signing coming in, very talented guy, of course, as well. Um, Giorgino, um, Giorgino, the the one who's obviously foundational to, to Sari's plans uh, going forward at Chelsea, but did the, did the transfer window sort of, um, was it indicative of that this sort of lack of forward planning that sort of tied in with Sari arriving so late as well? So I think that is an interesting question. I think there are a number of levels to it, as, as there so often are. You know, I think it was it was a strange transfer window for, for 90% of clubs, actually, in the one, it's a World Cup year. So, of course, unless you're doing what Liverpool did, which is, Everything you would advocate of a board, you identify players, you go out, you get them, you get them in early, done, fine, great, you know, standing ovation. I don't think that happened for a lot of clubs. I also think because of obviously the comments that Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale made after the Champions League final 
and also Neymar's attitude at PSG last season, not to mention FFP and Mbappe. A lot of clubs were waiting for the big move to happen to kickstart a bunch of other stuff. That didn't happen. So I think a few people were left flat-footed on that, actually, because I was sort of waiting for... Obviously, Ronaldo went to Juve, but then you're thinking, right, well, who are Real Madrid replacing him with? You know, are they going to go out and get Neymar? Are then PSG going to go move for somebody? Or is Mbappe going to leave? Will Dembele even leave Barcelona after what they did with, you know, Malcolm? So it was one of those where I thought so much could happen. And in reality, very little did. The the reason that would have obviously affected Chelsea would have been with Eden Hazard. Obviously, that didn't happen. And again, I think now with Azard's new contract, which, which absolutely will happen. The problem for Azard is he's not good enough. People don't want him anymore. He isn't as good as you think, you know, somebody like Mbappe looks now. Is he arguably even as kind of credible as Salah after last season? So I think Azard has no choice but to sign a new deal. He knows that. We know that. It's all going to be fine unless Real Madrid have a disastrous next three months and have to go and break the bank for him because they, they can't get anybody else. But in terms of Courtois, I would have sold him in 2016. He basically, him and Hazard basically made such an issue and essentially got the board to get rid of Mourinho when anybody with half a brain knew that they were going to be leaving at some point anyway because they saw themselves as bigger than the club. Courtois always has and always will, which is ironic because after his performance against Barcelona last year, if I was Real Madrid, I would have been looking elsewhere. But yes, we we did overpay for Kepa. But at the end of the day, there were very few options out there. I personally am of the opinion that Alisson was never an option. I think he was nailed on to go to Liverpool. And it is such a sad state of affairs for Chelsea that if if I was a player who who wasn't a Chelsea fan, if I was just a you know a great player at I don't know Roma, and I had two choices in the summer just gone Chelsea or Liverpool, I wouldn't even blink before I went and signed a contract at Anfield because you have a manager who is a great manager who has a track record of winning things, which I think people have forgot. Klopp has actually won a Bundesliga, you know, and did so so well with BVB. He is clearly a great man. Clearly, a modern manager, a good manager. That is a good squad. That is a harmonised squad. The board know what they're doing. The owners understand the situation now, which I don't think they did when they initially came in. And you look like a team that aren't, you know, fine this year, title contenders, probably title winners, who knows. But you don't look like a team who are going to capitulate and not be in the top four every other year for the next 10 years with a new, you know, manager every three years. You look at Chelsea and you think... I don't know what the owner wants to do anymore. Why are they looking at second-tier players? Are they even getting a new stadium? What's going on with Abramovich's visa issues? What's going on with the board? Who's even been appointed to replace the man that we thought was in charge of all this stuff? You know, they don't treat their club legends very well because you look at the farewells certain players have got and it's been abysmal. They didn't give proper extended contracts to people like Lampard and Ashley Cole, which they should, and that could have solved a lot of things. Then you look at the young players. Young players never come through. You've got absolutely no chance whatsoever. You can have the best preseason of your life, like Hudson Odoi did, and then basically be persona non grata, you know, in the subsequent weeks. It's absolutely ridiculous. If you're an established player, I would not risk myself on Chelsea, which is, you know, essentially why Jan Oblak, absolutely no chance. Why would you leave Atleti for Chelsea? Which, you know, three, four years ago, I would have laughed in somebody's face if they'd have said, oh, Alisson picked Liverpool over Chelsea. I'd have been like, well, he didn't. <laughs> That's, he wouldn't have. It's not a thing. But the, the level of players now that we're looking at as well, I think it's partly indicative of, of the owner and what he will now plough into the club. Yes. It's also, you know, you have to realise we have spent two of the last three seasons outside of the Champions League. That's revenue that we are not getting anymore. And gone are the days where... You know, Abramovich is willing or able to pour in hundreds and hundreds of millions on stuff. How can you have a coherent structure when your manager and your managerial style changes every three or four years? You know, so either we need to take the plunge and go completely continental in that. I mean, the board and the kind of director of football, whoever that may be, if we brought one in, pick the players, pick you know, not the system or who plays every week, but the essential ethos of what the club are going to be. And then the manager is more like Mourinho said, it's a continental approach. You're a head coach. You're not necessarily, you have preferred targets, but you can work with what you're given. 
Or you say every manager gets exactly what they want or as close to it as we can give them. Because there's no point doing what we did to Conte. Because even if everything else would have been perfect, that is a recipe for disaster. Because you are asking a manager to play with players he, he literally didn't want and who can't fit into a certain system. And it's, it's, it's never going to yeah, work. Never and works, yeah. I, well, you know, arguably it, it's a, a big issue at the moment and it's quite concerning. And I think it's the first time people have picked up on it after the West Ham game. I, I've said it all season and the midfield just, just terrifies me yeah. at times. And what's happening to Kante terrifies me. The, the prospect of Marcus Alonso and David Luiz having to defend, actually defend, when Azad is absolved of every bit of defensive responsibility, yeah. terrifies me. No wonder he's think... delighted right now, Hazard. I mean, that, 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 that's what he's wanted for since he's joined the club, practically, isn't it? Having no defensive responsibility. Exactly. And at the end of the day, you know, not to be on a rant about Azad because I'm, I'm not his biggest fan. Obviously, he's a very, very good player. Only an idiot would say he isn't. He, he has bags and bags of talent. What I would say is you can look across Europe and even the Premier League, you look at Salah, you look at Mane, you look at even somebody like a De Bruyne or a David Silva, Mbappe, Griezmann, anybody, Gareth Bale even, they have some defensive responsibility. Fine if you're playing the equivalent of Cardiff at home, you don't have to do that much, do you? Anybody knows that. But when you're playing a team like a Liverpool or a City or a PSG or anybody, you cannot be carrying passengers. There is one exception to that, one exception. And even Mourinho did it at Real Madrid. The exception is when you have a goat. When you have somebody who can break down any defence, if they just stand resolute, if they're just a bog-standard, well-organised team who other other sides will draw a nil-nil to, and it'll be like a West Ham or it'll be like a Wolves or they're, they're a cracking team and you're probably going to concede a goal, but it doesn't matter because if you concede one, Ronaldo or Messi will score two or three or four. But Azad cannot do that. He has never done that. Sorry saying he's going to score 35 goals a season. Well, I'd be playing him in the Europa League, not resting him, because he is never hitting those heights just playing Premier League games. Because as we saw against West Ham, case in point, he can be man-marked out of a game. Yes, he has games where he's unplayable, but he can be man-marked out. And then you look at the Chelsea midfield and it's basically every shade of red you can imagine. It's just the same thing, but slightly different. We need a different type of thing. We need a different colour. We need a blue. We need somebody like a Ross Barkley or a Loftus-Cheek just to pull players we actually have who can drive you forward a little bit more and who can give you something. Right now, we're asking Angolo Kante to, to be a blue and he's a red and it just isn't going to work and he's always going to be exposed and not quite as good as he should be because everything has to go through Jorginho and yeah. he is he is the main man now yeah I think that sort of brings us on nicely then to sort of my next part I think you've you probably covered at length there all the baggage that existed at the club and I think that, that some of it's not going anywhere some of it is obviously but um it does a Maurizio Sarri and his appointment and his responsibility um I'm sure you, you, you would have been aware of sort of his own sort of Sarri ball style and, and it's gonna be ref- Definitely be refreshing to a number of the players. We've already talked about Hazard there, but of course it does require certain cogs to actually work. And I think as you mentioned there with, with Kante and, and the way in which his position shifted this season and just how integral Jorginho is to, to the style, um, there are going to be, um, issues with it. So just generally, I want to ask you what, you, what you've made of Sari since his appointment. Um, and you know, given what you know about his style of play, are you surprised by how well you've done you've done so far to, to get results at the start of the season, or or do you think it was just a case of individual brilliance? Yeah, Hazard scoring goals here and there, moments um, that that's covering up from uh, for what you seem to be alluding to there. That is that you know there is an underlying tactical issue here because you don't have the right players uh, to really employ the style that he's he's after. I I. I obviously think he's done well because I think it it's a bit of a juxtaposition, but you're obviously stupid if you're saying he hasn't done well because, you know, we've we've won all but one of our opening games. But when you look a little bit deeper 
and you look at who those games have been against, you know, that winning against people like Huddersfield and people like Cardiff isn't something I would be writing home about and thinking, oh my God, you know, this is our season to really show everybody what we can do because they are bog standard results. That if it's, it's not even if you want to get in the top four, you're winning those games. If you want to be in the top half of the table, you're winning those games. So I don't even think that's, you know, anything you could read into. You look at the Arsenal game, one, I am so pleased that we can finally beat Arsenal again because under Conte, it was one of the banes <laughs> of my life. I usually expect a solid three points nice day out. Yeah. When, yeah, exactly. But it is. So many years, I used to love Arsenal. Under Conte, it was like a genuine hatred because I think we're not going to win. I'm going to be annoyed and upset <laughs> here. It's so frustrating. But, you know, the Arsenal game, yes, we won. Yay. But... Any time that defence was not even exposed, just asked to do the bare minimum, it fell apart. That was not a good kind of masterclass. And you, you might take three points from it, absolutely, but I wouldn't be watching that performance back, and I have several times, and thought, oh, yay, this is great. I mm. thought, oh, my God, this is everything I said and more. There was space then, all over the place. I remember that. Oh game. my crazy. God, there's no words. It's like watching an under 10s team, you know, and they all just follow the ball <laughs> and they all just run. And it's like, oh my God, positions, people. But, you know, the other problem was exposed against West Ham. And it's what I said about the midfield. You know, we basically are in a situation and I think we need to just accept it because it's just easier. Because why batch wise been allowed to go again? I don't know, but that's another problem for another day. The fact is, you know, we have two forwards, one in Maratta who isn't going to score and the other one in Giroud, who I like very much. And I think he is a good striker. But he's never going to get you 30 goals a season. Giroud is, is at his best, really, when he's allowing other people to play. And we saw that in the World Cup. And it's very much what Benzema did for years for Real Madrid. And, you know, got so much stick for it because people don't understand why you're not scoring 30 goals. That system, that kind type of striker works perfectly if the rest of your team are pitching in with goals. The problem is with Chelsea... In that midfield, okay, fine. Kante and Jorginho might score against Huddersfield. Are they going to score against, uh, you know, Premier League side who just set up, set up well and just don't let you through them? No, they're not. And that is a big problem because then Azad is also man-marked because if a team is going to shut us up in the midfield, they're probably going to man-mark Azad or at least mark him out of the game. Again, same thing happened. So where are these goals coming from? And that would be my kind of very big concern with this system. Because again, as you say, this isn't the, the right type of players. And yet, all well and good at Napoli, you know, sorry, adapted people to do that and to fit. But it's not working with us. We don't, I don't think, have those players because they're either on loan or we, we just literally don't have them. And again, I think Batch Y could have done a job here, but we, we don't even have that option. No, yeah, it, it was odd to see him sort of depart again as well. It, it, he, it, when you look at him and you look at his strengths, you would have thought that he would have been the right sort of guy to to step into that system. I mean, I guess then moving on to the to the weekend's game then, and, and, and based on what you what you've told me there about the system and um, its strengths, its weaknesses, things like that. Um, given that it is, you know, it's largely a possession based style. Obviously, there's there, there, there's pressing in it as well, but you are committed to it. And as you said, there everything does go through Jorginho at the moment. Um, you know, you you brought Louise back in to be a ball playing centre back, etc. Um, given what you know about how we play football, basically, and how and, and how essentially um, we love possession sides, basically, um, especially ones that don't want to play Kante in midfield. I want to play Kante uh, maybe in a forward position instead. So as you mentioned, leaving uh, your centre-backs without the protection that he, he usually offers. I mean, do you see Sari switching anything around for this weekend's game based upon that? Or, or do you think he'll stick to his principles and, and how he's used players um, uh, as he has so far this season? I think he'll stick to it. I think he'll stick to it for the entire season because if you look at what he did at Napoli... Fair enough, he basically converted Mertens to a, you know, a centre forward and my God, that worked. But at, at Chelsea, that we don't really have that option. The, the difference is he 
very rarely rotated in Napoli. He essentially drove them into the ground. And I think, again, that, that may well happen with us. We even saw in the Europa League, there were so few changes. And I was, I was so surprised because I understand, you know, we see it all the time with foreign managers. They take the Emirates doing it at Arsenal. They really take the Europa League so, so seriously. And they think it's a genuine real trophy to win. And fair enough, if you're Arsenal, I mean, a pre-season trophy is a real trophy. But we really, should we really be looking at the Europa League? I'm, I'm not so sure, but there we are. And I think Sarri's just going to stick with those players, that system, over and over again. And, we're, you know, Liverpool of last season, I would have thought we might, we might have some joy here, especially when we attack you, especially if we can get, you know, an Azard or somebody to have a good day. But the Liverpool of this season... I don't think so. Yeah, it's interesting that because obviously it w- it would appear if he was going to stick to those style that, that he'd be playing right into our hands, essentially based upon how we play. Although Hazard has started the season on fire, albeit marked out of that game against West Ham. Um, and he's somebody who I always sort of dread playing against, to be honest, because he's, he's had a few wonderful games against us um, individually. Um just then, so, sort of your, your your general thoughts then on Liverpool. I'm, I'm trying to ask everybody who, who comes onto the pod just for their sort of thoughts on the outside in as to what you um, thought of the business and, and, and think of our chances this season because it's, it's interesting to get everybody's perspective on it. I mean, um, from what you said there, then do, do you think this is probably the, the most complete one, the complete version of us that we've 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 seen for a few years at least? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I was reading the other day David Moyes' comments, which, you know, this is, let's not forget, the man that also <laughs> said he was he was one forward away. away. Yeah, a striker <laughs> away from winning the league. And I mean, look, yeah. I'm the winning lottery ticket away from winning the Euro Millions. It doesn't mean I'm going to win it. It's absolutely, you know, the man's a moron. But he said, you know, I don't actually think this Liverpool team is going to win the league. I don't think they're very good. I don't think they're as good as teams gone by by which he then elaborated because as if he hadn't dug a hole big enough. He then spoke about midfields gone by. So, you know, your Gerrard, your Mascarano, your Javi Alonso's, and then, you know, obviously how you had the SAS. The problem with that, David, is yes, they are individuals that you can, and arguably, I don't even know if I would, to be honest, but, you know, fine. Say you're going to pick out Luis Suarez at his prime and say, yeah, okay, fine. He's going to get you more goals than Firmino. Doubt, doubtfully. I don't really agree with that, but there we are. Even if we're going to say that, okay, fine. So let's take that year. Couldn't defend for Toffee. Let's take the Gerard year. You know, any, any year of any of your other sides, there have been gaping holes gaping holes this season uh, there are no holes like I'm like looking with my binoculars trying to find some floor and there really isn't one the goalkeeper is as solid and as good and as confident as they come and the mental aspect of the game these days especially with social media and you know the actual media and clickbait it's so, so important. It's as important as being a good keeper. And well, well, I'm now of the opinion of we'll never know what Carrius could have been because I think he's been destroyed, yeah, sure. absolutely destroyed. Whereas Alison, after he, you know, made his boo-boo, um, was very just like, oops, sorry, won't do that again. Moving on. And that's the attitude you've got to have. You know, you cannot be. And I hate the expression, you cannot be thin-skinned. It, you can absolutely have feelings, but you have to have such an innate confidence in yourself, you know? And I think, and I worry about Kepa for that, actually. But then you look at your defence and, you know, Gomez has emerged this season as, and he looked like he could be, I think, on the couple of occasions last season when he when he got the chance. Mm. But he's a, he's a great centre-back next to Van Dijk. Matip looks better next to Van Dijk. Lovren looks better next to Van Dijk. But you've got four quality centre-backs. You can't have four Van Dykes because two aren't going to sit on your bench for 90% of the season. That's not real. That's not realistic. But you can definitely have one absolutely top-class one and three very good ones. And I think that's what you have. Obviously, your fullbacks are, yeah, I'm not a Liverpool fan. If I was, I'd be so overjoyed to see, you know, young players doing so well and so good at going forward and so good at the back and actually able to cross a ball in. And I think it's just great. Your midfield... It'll never catch on, will it, young players? It'll it'll never catch on. (laughs) Not with us. But half the problem last season, you know, with Liverpool and their Champions League run, and I think you would have got second if, if not for it, was because you didn't have the strength and depth in midfield. And you're asking too much of certain players, especially with the intensity and the pressing that Klopp uses. 
But this season, you've got so many options. We've seen it already. And there is that genuine question of if, if Fakir was actually, you know, bought in the summer, how much would he have even played up to this point, you know? Or would we have even seen Wijnaldum do as well as he's done? And it's, it's so on forward line doesn't even need to be discussed, does it? But the fact that you can, you know, bring on storage or play storage for 60 minutes and Solanke isn't even getting a look in. If I had that squad, I would be so excited and, so happy and I really don't like it and I don't get when people are you know essentially trolling the fans for for thinking I mean it's our year haha we've all we've all joked about it I joke about it all the time <laughs> but for genuinely getting you know really bitter about a bit of joy I mean my god the, the world is so doom and gloom we've got a Trump administration in America we've got whatever on earth they call it in England and you know the disaster of Brexit if you can find some joy take it and if I could find some joy in my team playing excellent football and looking like they can go pretty far in all the competitions and probably win a title, I will be dancing from the rooftops. I, I don't understand why, you know, people are like, oh, they shouldn't be so excited. Most of them are just Man City fans, but I'm surprised they've even got over the bus incident, to be honest. Yeah, you know, <laughs> seem, seem really upset about this, actually. It's, 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 it's been quite interesting. I remember over the years, people sort of, you know, trying to invent rivalries with us every, every now and then, but yeah, the, the, the Copperberg Gate really seems to have um, seemed to stoke some fires there beneath Man City fans. But um, it's so weird. I wouldn't yeah. mind, but even like De Bruyne was like, "What are you even on uh, about?" There's <laughs> no problem. Exactly. I mean, but Bruce, the Dortmund fans, you know, that was a literal terrorist attack on their bus, and they just got up, and it was like, you know, this is this is horrible, this is awful, but we are going to move on, you know. Whereas one Copperberg bottle, and it's like we can't possibly ever play again. This is why we were why we didn't win the Champions League. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it was an odd one. All right, then. I, I, I mean, I mean, so bringing things to a close, then. I mean, that's what, what I want to ask you. Then is obviously we play Chelsea twice. Um, you know, in four days now, the, 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 there's the cup tie uh, on Wednesday night. Um, are you predicting any changes to that then, based upon what you, you, you've told me about Sari and him keeping the same team then? Surely you can't play the same team for both that game and, and the weekend's game. I don't think we're going to take the Carabo Cup very seriously. I, d I don't like that fact, but I, I don't think we will, no. So I think, yeah, we should be seeing people like hudson Adoy. And we should be seeing people like Ampadu. And, you know, if Loftus-Cheek is deemed fit enough, then absolutely Christensen for sure. Rudiger won't play because he can't play. And we, we have to prioritise him for the weekend. Because, you know, base level, I, I don't think we will win the Premier League or, you know, we might win the Europa League. But we have to get top four. There's, there's no two ways about that. We can't spend another season out the top four. Sure. So all, all focus on the weekend's game. In, in terms of the team line, in terms of the strength of that of that team you're expecting? Yes, definitely. I, I don't think we have any other choice because of the way Sari's decided to set up in the Europa League. We, we're going to have to not sacrifice the domestic cup competitions, but definitely give the, the, give the kids and reserves a chance. And, you know, but we've still got people like Barkley and Drinkwater desperate for games. So it's not like, you know... We're re we are scraping the barrel, but it, it's not a terrible barrel. It's just not a very good barrel. Yeah. <laughs> Different qualities of barrels and things like that. All right, then, again, <laughs> in terms of um, prediction, then, I'll put you on the spot there. It, it, it sounds like you're not as confident as years gone by, basically, based upon sort of the, um, the current situation you find yourself in to the flux of styles and things like that and the, and the strength that we now have in, in midfield, maybe in defence. So so what would be your prediction for, for the weekend's game, then? Oh, for, for the weekend, I, I would give it Liverpool a, a nice 2-0, two, two if not a 3-1, because we've not just declined, you've got better as well, which is, you know, doubly unfortunate, one might say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and, and are you at all boosted by the fact that you've you know, had Simon Mignolet will start on uh, Wednesday night? Uh, not really, because Caballero is going to start, isn't he? Oh, right. So, okay. Yes. It, oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's going <laughs> to be. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting game that one, I think for sure. Uh, anyway, Rebecca, thanks so much for all that insight on Chelsea. I mean, there's, there's there's so much you can sort of burrow down into, especially in terms of the context of the club and the situation it finds itself in. But at least with Sarah, you're going to have, I think, probably quite a lot of fun once things do get in place and and he gets his right players and maybe finds the right nicotine gum for him to chew on the t on the sidelines as well 
Oh, it's it's Maratta that will kill him. 80 a day, but it's Maratta that will send him to his grave. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be some sort of quote that I'll come back to later in the season. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it probably will. Yeah. Thank you so much anyway, for, that, for that, Rebecca. Talking all things Liverpool then, and uh, Sam, just I'll just bring you in here then. I mean, it's been... Uh, what a really positive start to the season, um, sort of unnerving in a way to, for things to have gone this well, of course, with that win against Southampton as well. It's the the best ever start to a uh, to a season for, for a Liverpool manager with, with seven wins in a row. Um, that PSG win, of course, and then following up with, uh, with the win against Southampton at Anfield, two different types of performances, but you know, the same end result for both of them. Uh, what did you make for what was a good week for Liverpool? Uh, great start to the Champions League campaign as well. It's so good, isn't it, Harry? It's it's strange though how quickly you become accustomed to this kind of thing. It, it's it's only <laughs> seven games into the season, and we're like expecting to win every game. All you know, all of a sudden, it's bizarre, really. So you know, we're probably getting a little bit too comfortable with it. I think even some people were annoyed that we didn't win against. Uh, Southampton by more goals, yeah, which is just you know strange. It's a three nil home win. You can't really. I was going to say, Sam, I was, it's perfect. I, I'm perfectly happy to get um, get on board <laughs> with the boring three nil home win. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I've I've supported this club for 27 years, and this is the most excited I've been for a, a league campaign, bar none. It's it's just that little niggling annoyance that is Man City who are just different gravy as well that uh, if it wasn't for them then uh, maybe I'd just be losing my shit completely already but um, yeah regards to the week anyway that that PSG game uh, I was on the um, post-match pod with um, with Guy and it's just so exciting to watch this club at the moment It's, it's, it's really good to see us you know Scoring three goals against PSG, a team I'd really wanted us to watch, uh, really wanted us to play for a long time now. So we, we've kind of seen the two styles that, that that Liverpool can adopt all in the space of one week uh, against PSG. Some really exciting attacking football, and you know we did what was needed. And then Southampton, on the other hand, then we we knew the job was done by half time. And Klopp kind of made a decision to see it out and make sure we don't concede another goal. And, you know, long may that continue. So many times we've let these leads slip in the last minute or whatever, a free kick or something. Or, you know, we've had a few results this season so far already where we've been 2-0 up and given that goal away, uh, you know, Leicester... Tottenham and we've had that edgy end to the game so I just think Klopp was kind of protecting against that and just said look it's 3-0 it's in the bag we'll just take the points and we'll we'll move on to think about Chelsea Absolutely I, I think that I don't have any issues with those testing out formations for example in the first half I think people have been talking about the um, 4-2-3-1 that perhaps we saw at stages um, against Southampton and with Shaq coming in as well I have to admit, I was actually expecting Fabino to get a run. Um, uh, he really is getting the Robertson treatment as a, a slow sort of introduction into into life at Liverpool. And let's face it, that midfield has been performing just just fine as well without him so far. So I, I do look forward to seeing him. I'm sure we'll probably see him tomorrow night for that Carabao Cup game. Um, just on Shakiri then, I mean, this is the most we've got to see of him so far in a, in a Liverpool shirt, in a competitive sense anyway. Um what did you make of his uh, sort of 45-minute cameo then in terms of the fact that he was obviously substituted afterwards? Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to ask you what you thought of his performance as a whole and um, and how he fits in the side. And then also what you made of, of the fact that he was substituted. Do you think that's with an eye on uh, tomorrow's game or do you think it was more tactical? Well, Klopp said in his press conference that it was actually a tactical decision and he wasn't happy with the solidity in midfield. Um, But we all know that we can't necessarily trust what Klopp says in a press conference. But for him to come out and say those words, it seems strange for it to be any other reason. Um, You know, I thought 
Shakiri was excellent. You know, he's probably the man of the match um, when it comes to the first half. He, he's had a hand in all three goals. Um, and one thing he's really brought to this Liverpool squad now it is excellent set piece delivery. And I think maybe that's something we've been missing since we sold Coutinho. Um, so you know, he's someone that can really step up a gear with that uh, set piece delivery. And we, we had joy from exactly that in the game against Southampton. And the, the beauty of having someone with that kind of delivery from a set piece is you can get some really, really cheap goals scored. And it just makes those tough games where you can't get the breakthrough so much easier when you just nick you know a, a corner you know a header off a corner or a direct free kick it, it's something that Chelsea actually uh, in the Mourinho days got down to a T you know a John Terry header would often open the scoring for Chelsea and it's just something that demoralizes the opposition really early on you haven't even had to work for your goals and you're still scoring so I think you know Shakiri, very good performance by him he would have been very disappointed to be subbed. But I'd like to think now he'll be getting his start in this game uh, midweek against Chelsea. And, you know, if he has another good performance, you never know. He might have another game on the weekend. Absolutely. I'd certainly echo what you mentioned about Matip as well. I mean, you mentioned John, John Terry there. I'm not sure Matip's ever going to be that prolific. But <laughs> no. I think when you see him having seen him miss so many headers it seems to have a 50p head when you see him score a header of that nature you're like oh we're we're definitely going to win this game today if we're scoring those sorts of goals I mean um, against PSG I mean I don't want to stay sort of uh, focused on the past too much um, uh, Sam Uh, it was obviously a a wonderful game to see and I thought the way in which we performed as well uh, and controlled a game through the controlling of space, which is something we're seeing increasingly. Um, and I think it's something that's taken fans a bit of time to get to get to grips with, because let's face it, we're so we're so used to seeing teams dominate football and football matches because of their you know, their ability on the ball, having you know, a few fantastic playmakers or maybe um, you know, deep lying playmakers who are able to really dictate the play. But what we're seeing with the current midfield is the work rate and the sheer intensity that they bring to um, to each game is enabling us to really dominate games by dominating the space in general. Um, what did you make um, of the performance of the midfield? Um, actually, you know, let's ask it more generally. I mean, what have you made of the performance of the midfield so far this season? Um, and uh, the fact that we're not you know, we're not yet seeing Cater or Fabino as immediate um, sort of first team starters. It's testament to just how well Ginny and uh, and Milner and, and Henderson have been playing, surely. Yeah, I touched on this a bit in the uh, post-match pod after PSG, actually, where I, I really do think that these new signings, even though they haven't had that big an impact so far, have kind of had that galvanising effect to the existing team and the existing midfielders and and kind of got them to up their game because they know if they're not performing at the absolute top level, they're going to be straight out of this team. And, you know, testament to them, they've they've really, really upped their game and have performed at levels that I really didn't think they'd be able to. Uh, You know, Milner now, the guy is an absolute monster. I don't know how he's... He just runs himself into the ground flat out every single game. Wijnaldum as well. He he does a lot of work that maybe some people don't appreciate. And a lot of the time he's branded with this, you know, uh, he, he doesn't perform away from home and all this. Um, it, it's something that he's just proving people wrong day by day. And I think we're starting to see that he's understanding more and more by each game exactly what Klopp is expecting of him and I think that's why he ended up removing Shakiri in the Southampton game and he kind of shifted Wijnaldum into that space that Shakiri maybe wasn't protecting well enough so it, it's just testament to the guys that he, the Klopp's putting so much trust in these guys that he's bought these superstar midfielders and he's still feeling comfortable enough to start with with Milner and Wijnaldum and I just think it's great. You know, I'm I'm desperate to see Fabinho get his uh, his full debut and I'm I'm expecting it now against Chelsea hopefully. Um and Keita again, that guy's going to be an absolute superstar for us, but 
until they're both up to speed and fully performing exactly how Klopp wants them to, why rush them in? We, you know, we've seen Klopp do it, as you said, with Ox, uh, Robertson in the past. He knows what he's doing. He's making sure that these guys know exactly what they, they want him to do. And as soon as they are managing, managing to do it in training and he thinks that they're capable, they'll be in the team and they'll be a lot fresher than the other guys. You know, this is very much a squad game now. So very, very happy to see such strength and depth in that midfield area for a change. Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that we've been waiting for for a while. So no complaints for me at all. I mean, in terms of the midweek game in the Carabao Cup then, uh, obviously a chance for rotation, obviously a chance for maybe Fabina to get a f- fuller debut than that one minute, one foul on Neymar that he's, <laughs> that he's had so far. It's a good ratio. It's one I hope he yeah. keeps up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, obviously a chance for him, a chance for some other players. Is there anyone in particular you'd like to see sort of um, come in for that game and you think should get a chance? Um, even the likes of some youngsters who perhaps could could be given a, uh, a chance on uh, on Wednesday night? I really want to see Sturridge start. Um, I think he's deserved it as well with his performances so far this season. You know, he's picked up a couple of goals already, and I think it's worth noting that both goals were the opening goals in the games. Um, so, you know, I, I, well, his his um, not his opening goal against West Ham. It was literally his first touch of the game, and uh, against PSG, it was the opening goal of the game. So, I think he's really. He's deserved his place in the team. So I really, really want to see Sturridge. And I'm sure he'd be happy to score against his old club as well. Um, another one, obviously, Fabinho, I think, really needs some minutes now. I think he's he's been there long enough. Hopefully, he'll get, uh, get a start and maybe do those 90 fouls in 90 minutes. Uh, and that, that hopefully should... I'd like to see Jorginho actually make 180 passes with uh, Fabinho kicking him every minute. Um, and well, so obviously, yeah, there's. I think we might get a bit of rotation either at left back with Moreno or maybe Klein at right back. But you know, we know from the press conference today that uh, Simon Mignolet will be starting. Uh, and there's yeah, a lot what do you of... make of that? I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm hesitant to be too negative about <laughs> anything really to, at, at the start of the season, but I have to yeah. admit, I mean, seeing him, I, I, I don't see what we've got left to learn personally. But uh, yeah. no, I, I think it's, I, I don't know. You know, goalkeepers don't need resting the same as as outfield players, obviously. So personally, I, I'd play Allison every single game, but sometimes maybe it's good. Just for the rotation of the, of the club, you know, Mignolet's been there a long time. He's he's kept quiet. He hasn't kicked up a fuss for a little while now, and he's he's maybe kind of just given him that little reward for, for for his patience and for being around the club. And you never know if we do get an injury to Allison, we'll need him to be coming into the team. So it's it's a scary prospect, but it's something that you need to always remember that if we do get in a goalie injury that guy is starting whatever game we have next. So um, I'm, I'm not too worried, really. It's it's This is a real opportunity for us to make a dent in this, in this Premier League. So any other competition at the moment, bar the Champions League, I, I don't really care, if I'm honest. You know, I'd, I'd love them to win the Carabao Cup. Don't get me wrong. You know, we're desperate for a trophy. But if playing the strongest team in the Carabao Cup gives us even a 1% reduction in chance of winning the league, then I'm not interested. You know, So um, if Klopp thinks it's, it's, it's time to rotate, it's time to rotate. But I think we might be surprised just how strong he does go in this game. If, if his past history is anything to go by, he, he doesn't like to rotate too heavily. And I think also the fact that it's a home game, it it wouldn't do good for our confidence going into the away game against Chelsea, having just lost. So I think Klopp will be really desperate to win the game because it's at Anfield, keep that unbeaten Anfield run going. So um, I'm expecting a really strong side, but maybe with those couple of changes. Uh, Lovren needs games as well now. You know, I'm not his biggest fan, but he's someone as well that it, it's, it's very much a squad game now. Matt Dip stepped in on the weekend, did a decent job. We need to get 
Lovren up to the same standard as well now. Yeah, I was going to mention there with Lovren coming in. I mean, no trepidation around that at all. I mean, it's good to see him getting those minutes following the World Cup as well, of course. Um, do you think once he didn't gets up to speed and gets more of these minutes that we're going to see more rotation in the Premier League as well? I seriously doubt it. Um, I think two centre-backs playing together week in, week out, along with the same goalkeeper, has an absolutely massive effect on solidity in the squad. So I, I can't see Klopp, and he hasn't been that kind of person either, to just... I can't see him just rotating centre-backs just to keep them fresh unnecessarily. You know, it, it's something that, like with Van Dyke, for instance, now it looks like he's got a bit of a knock on his ribs on the weekend. So I expect him to be fully rested for the midweek game now. Um, so then that's when he'll be doing his rotation. You know, if someone has a small uh, tweak or a, a, a small injury that won't keep him up for long, I think that's more likely when he's going to be making his rotation but if players are fully fit especially with Gomez's current form I can't see him rotating Van Dijk and Gomez anytime soon doesn't matter if Lovren thinks he's the best centre-back in the world Um, the way Gomez has started this season that's now his position to lose yeah, I think that would be that would be my view as well. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does for sure. I think uh, sometimes, sometimes perhaps we do forget Gomez's age, but I think it's going to be interesting. But looking ahead to the actual game, then I mean, uh, it's Chelsea week, as I was saying, sort of to Rebecca. We were playing twice, and in, in just four days, what have you seen of them uh, at the start of this season? Of course, you know, speaking to Rebecca earlier on there about a fundamentally different uh, manager in terms of his style of approach on the pitch. Um, one that's clearly pleased a number of Chelsea's players who maybe uh, resented some of the defensive work they've had to do. Although, let's face it, I think that's modern-day football. You, uh, There are very few players who get away with doing nothing defensively anymore. Um, but uh, Sarri is one who's, who does seem to want to let creativity thrive. Uh, possession-based football, high press, very vertical passing, everything going through Jorginho. Um, but have you have you seen any of Chelsea at the start of the season? They've picked up these results here, perhaps despite not having all the the correct uh, you know, players for the maybe the positions Sari wants. So, what have you made of them? Yeah, just despite the fact that they they made some bizarre signings over the last year, um, some real sub top six signings, I thought um, you, you've got to remember they've still got most of the team that that did win the league not so long ago. So they're clearly still a really good squad. They just had some seriously toxic feelings within that dressing room and and serious problems at the club. So, you know, with Conte leaving, they've had a bit of a fresh start now with Sarri. And not that I expected them to start off quite so well as they have, but I, I still expected them to be a real threat this season. So, you know, it, it's not that big a surprise that they are along the top of the league. And with some of the players that they've signed this summer, um, I, I think they were always going to improve. Um, Jorginho, as you said, he's, he's someone that they, they, they very much like to play through with their, you know, they're going for a really high possession game at the moment now. So I think he's someone that we're obviously going to have to target uh, in the game on the weekend. Um you know, I, I've seen the highlights of the uh, the game at the weekend against West Ham, and even though they dominated possession and everything, West Ham really did have maybe three guilt edge chances that they really could have scored some goals from. So, um, despite on paper it looking like an absolute domination and maybe a, a Liverpool of last season nil nil draw, West Ham really really could have nicked that game. So I, I think there's there's still weaknesses there to exploit despite their really excellent start. And I think if we can get the win against them on the weekend, we, we might see a bit of that fragility start to show yet again and maybe they will fall off a bit. So um, I just think it, it's really, when it comes to the midweek game, I, I want to win the game, but it's not a priority. It's all about 
Saturday for me. And I think if we really can now, we've we've had a good couple of results over the last few years at Stamford Bridge, maybe not so much Anfield. So we'll go into the game of the weekend with some confidence. And I, you know, I'd like to think that maybe this will be Keita's chance to really, really shine for the club. Yeah, of course, one, two out of our last three at Stamford Bridge. The game there last year, sort of a strange one, really just didn't have the depth at all to to compete properly. I think we were just sort of scrapping yeah. for the points towards the end of the last season, weren't we? But um, yeah, in terms of how Sarri plays, um, we're speaking to Rebecca about how that could potentially play into our hands, really, if he's so committed to that that approach and, and that, that footballing philosophy. Uh, and we're obviously a team that thrives on uh, not necessarily always having the ball, but counter-pressing. Uh, we've gotten incredibly efficient at it. Um, do you see uh, him changing anything to, to tailor for our approach on the weekend? Obviously, Kante has been pushed forward uh, so far this season, but surely it would make sense to put him back into midfield for, for a game like this, no? Yeah, you'd fully expect Kante to be protecting uh, protecting the defence in that game on the weekend. Um it, it's 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 a strange thing with Liverpool though because if they do do that and get him to sit back then he's giving more space maybe to us in a deeper position to give maybe Van Dijk and the likes a chance to actually start feeding balls through and, and make us dominate the game a bit more so you might fix one thing against this Liverpool side but then you're leaving another area exposed so it, it, that's really exciting thing about us at the moment is even if we're not on our game, there's so many other ways we can score at the moment. You know, set pieces now are showing. Uh, we can nick goals there. Uh, we can score the scruffy goals. And, and our defence has been so good that now we don't feel like we have to score five to actually sit in our seats and be comfortable. So I, I'm just going into it really confident. And I'm just thinking, you know, absolute worst case scenario, you lose the game you're still within a point of top. So it's just one of those things. I really expect Liverpool to go out and attack them and just try and see if we can expose some of their weaknesses. Mm. It's going to be an interesting contest, I think, for sure. I mean, one player who we've seen in the past causes lots of trouble is Eden Hazard, of course, and uh, uh, always seems... Uh, when he's on it, it's just incredibly difficult to stop. And he started this season well, of course, did have that quieter game against West Ham, being marked out of it a little bit, is what Rebecca was saying. But, uh, I mean, how how do you think we're going to go about managing his threat this time? We, we saw how we managed Neymar and Mbappe uh, against, um, against PSG. Do you think we're going to try a similar tactic in terms of just pressing them, uh, or pressing him in, individually quite intensely? Yeah, I, th- I think that's Liverpool's biggest strength really is the way that we defend as a team we just put so much pressure on players they don't have a chance to get their head up and actually show what they can do uh, we saw that with Neymar uh, last week he he really had a tough time of things because whenever he did pass one player there was another one straight on him straight away so you know I'd, I'd expect similar treatment for Hazard uh, on the weekend I think Liverpool's pressing nature and you know maybe players like Milner now um, and I'm expecting Keita to be in there as I said earlier I think we might really get him to be unleashed now I feel like Klopp's been holding him back a bit and and wants to unleash him on the big game so I'm fully expecting him to do that against Chelsea on the weekend and fingers crossed it's, it's going to be another case of with Hazard, you've just got to stop the supply. And then if he does get the ball, you literally don't give him an inch. So we've been defending so well recently, even though on the commentary and everything, they keep saying, oh, Liverpool are dodgy on set pieces and, oh, they can't defend and everything. Look at us this season. You know, whenever we've taken the lead, we've never looked like losing it in the league. So um, really, really confident going into the game, mate. Yeah, certainly sounds. I think it's a you know, good position we find ourselves in, uh, just with the stability that we have in this team and the confidence that's clearly th- uh, clearly flowing through us as well. So uh, let's hope for a positive result uh, tomorrow night, and then also a positive result uh, on the weekend as well. I think it's going to be it's a packed schedule for us this month, but um, let's hope we can sort of uh, 
get through the next couple of games. I mean, to put you on the spot then, Sam, and actually bring you to predictions then, I mean, what are you expecting then for, for the weekend's game? What sort of result? I'm expecting a win. You know, a, a, a draw would be a decent result going away to eight Stamford out of eight, Bridge. Yeah. Eight out of eight. That's but I'm, 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 I'm fancying, yeah, I'm fancying another. Why wouldn't I? Uh, you know, whatever happens in midweek, I don't think that'll have any sort of bearing on it. I think we're very much eyes on the game on Saturday. And the way we started at the moment, this team is so, so confident. You know, we've already put Spurs to the sword. They're someone that we've had a lot of problems with over the years. And I just feel like what's to fear? We've got absolutely nothing to fear. And even if the starting 11 aren't performing, we've now shown that we've got an excellent bench to turn to as well. So I, I'm not scared of this Chelsea team. Obviously, that there are players we need to watch out for and they are a very, very talented side. But this is not the finished article, Chelsea. You know, they're a very young side, as in in learning Sari's ways. So they haven't had time to gel. This Liverpool team is well drilled and it's three years in the making. So I think we'll we'll, we'll step up, we'll go out there with loads of confidence and we'll put them to the sword. Sure, perfect then. All right then, just before we go, Sam, did you have anything to plug on your side? Um, there was just that post-PSG um, pod uh, that I did with uh, with Guy. That's the only thing I've got out there at the moment, mate. And if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Sambo Evans. Absolutely. I definitely encourage you to follow Sam. And, uh, of course, make, make sure you're checking out all the great content on, on, on AI Pro. Uh, more of the great thoughts of Jan Mulby and uh, Sir Kenny Dalglish. It's a, it's, a, it's a real privilege to have those people contributing to to the pod in such a wonderful way and of course for such a great cause as well um, with the Marina Douglas Foundation that of course the pod's going towards so yeah please be sure to to subscribe and, and listen to all the great content that's coming out the latest Under Pressure as well I thought was excellent as well so um, also on Rebecca's behalf as well check out the Did It Cross The Line pod of course she's doing a pod with uh, with her better half on I shouldn't say that in, in, in terms of her husband, um, Alex, who are, uh, he's a Liverpool fan. She's a Chelsea fan. Uh, sure to be plenty of debate on that. So make sure to check that one out as well. But uh, thank you. All, um, thank you for listening, guys. It's been a, it'd be a busy week for us with Chelsea week two uh, two games in four days. But uh, we'll be back next week to, to preview the next game. And I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening. Podcast Network.